there are two particular pitfalls for you if you're listening to today's sermon on how to take it. There's a lot of pitfalls, let's be honest, in listening to a sermon in church. It's a dangerous enterprise. Someone has said that preaching is the art of talking in someone else's sleep. Uh, I hope... <laughs> I hope today that's not the case because what I have to share with you today is vitally important. Everything that God said is. In the Bible epistle we're looking at, in other words, in a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote, an early scattered group of Christians who had scattered under persecution, he told them how to, he told them first of all that they were in the last days. He told them the end of all things is at hand. And then he turned and told them because that's true, because we're living in the end of days and we're waiting for Jesus to return and keep his final promise to us to come back for us, here's how you are to live. And last week, we discovered in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, that what Peter said to do first is to pray. And then in chapter 4, verse 8, he's going to tell them something equally simple to say and to understand, and it takes a lifetime of following Jesus to live out. He's going to tell them to love each other. And when you hear the word love, there come the pitfalls. There is a tendency when anybody speaks about love, particularly a pastor, for everybody in the room, but particularly the men, to kind of go, oh man, this is going to be sentimental. I'm going to turn this thing off. Okay? And you coastify the Bible's message. And what I mean by coastify, anybody ever listen to love songs on the coast? <laughs> when I was trying to get my wife to marry me back when we were dating, I'd take her on, take her on dates the best I could and my 1974 Plymouth something, I don't remember, I don't want to remember. This was in the late 90s, this was in the early 90s, okay, it was an old car. I loved it, and I looked, well, I looked like a dork in it, but uh, that's the first sign I knew her love was real. It definitely wasn't the car that drew her attention. But I'd take her on dates, and I kind of got familiar with Southern California radio stations, having moved here from Mexico, and I found the coast. And, Love songs on the coast. You know what I'm talking about? Here's how you know I've been married for more than 20 years. Is that still on? Is that still a thing? Yeah, okay. Well, they would do these love songs, and that was great, but what would kill me were the dedications. Because a lady would come on, and she would say, Susie, Bill just wants you to know that he would swim the Pacific Ocean with the rose clenched between his teeth and fight a grizzly bear upon arriving on the shore just for the privilege of with his dying breath having suffered those terrible wounds from the grizzly bear to sing you this next song. <laughs> Susie and San Dimas, this one's for you. You know, and I'm driving along listening to this thinking, I just wanted to take her to Chili's, you know? I'm in... <laughs> I'm in deep trouble here with love songs on the coast. I can't live up to that. So, when you hear a pastor open the Bible and read something about love, there's a tendency, there's a, a sentimentality kind of thinking that draws our mind to that sappiness, and it 
turns a lot of people away from hearing what the Bible says. If you move your way past that, there's still another pitfall, and that is this. You might think that this sermon is for somebody else and not for you. You might think, as people sometimes do, I really wish my shiftless, no good, fill in the blank of your friendship or family member, were here so that he could have heard how he is to love me. And you make it about them and not about you, and you kind of lose the point. Never, anybody ever been through that experience in church? Yeah? Folks, it's church. If we can't be honest here, when can we be? <laughs> so fight through that. Push that away. Because this, what Peter is telling them, now that they're living in the brief space between Jesus going back to heaven and preparing a place for those who trust him and love him and returning to gather them up, in that brief time that we're living in, that's why it's the last times kind of season that we're living in, love is vital for this reason. When suffering comes in, love is the first casualty. It doesn't take much to get people to forget to love each other. Mark my words when Thanksgiving and what they call Black Friday rolls around. <laughs> Never mind love, you'll just see civility and human decency go right out the window all over the country. When there is genuine crisis, people turn from civilized people. The first thing that is lost, the first casualty in suffering is the obligation, the responsibility that we have to love one another. I've just summarized basically every family fight you've ever had. Someone is suffering, someone is under pressure, someone is under pressure, someone's rights have been trampled, someone has been offended, and they lash out rather than respond with love. Every conflict you've ever had was rooted in the failure of one party or both to love each other as the Bible says we should. So Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Calm down and pray. That's the first thing he said. That's what we looked at last week. Keep calm and pray on. Then he says, above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Would you read that with me from your outline? A very simple Bible verse. You can take it home in your heart today. The Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You guys sound amazing. That sounded so good I want to do it again. This is God's word. This is God's direction to you if you're a Christian. If you're following Jesus, this is not only what God expects and tells you to do, this is what he enables, equips, empowers you to do. If you're not sure of your relationship with God, you don't have it in your own strength to live this way. But the good news that the kids heard all week in VBS is that God has opened a way by taking the punishment for sin that separates you from God through the love of His Son, Jesus Christ. More on that in just a few minutes. But for those who are following Jesus, this is what it says. One more time. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Let's move quickly through that verse. Above all, meaning your responsibility to keep love strong, to keep love at full strength, to keep loving other people earnestly. 
to make an effort because it's not easy to keep loving other people. Bible translations say, keep your love fervent, love each other deeply, keep loving each other earnestly, keep your love at full strength. That is an above all responsibility. In other words, it's a priority for people who are following Jesus. Let me be as practical as I possibly can. That means that you can't say that it's not your thing to love people. I'm amazed sometimes that the things that people tell me are just not their things that God has told them are the normal part of the Christian life. Prayer, not my thing. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, keep your head together, stay calm so that you can pray. It is your thing. This says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. In other words, for followers of Jesus, it's a priority. Now listen, temperaments differ. And love has, in our human expression, in our day-to-day life, love has different ways of looking and acting depending on how God made you, but the responsibility to love other people, that is an above-all priority for every disciple of Jesus. What is love? Love covers everything. Love is found for me as a child in the quiet strength of my father in his choice to call me my whole life pal. It's a little thing. But from the, time I was li- from the time I have memory, my dad called me pal. And I found more warmth, more strength, more acceptance in that little pet nickname between the two of us than in just about anything growing up. He was encouraging without being sentimental. He was loving enough to ask my forgiveness as a small child when we both knew he'd done wrong. That's love. It may come up in the gushy sentimentality of things like love songs on the coast, but believe you me, that's not all it does. Love is Jesus choosing to go to the cross and choosing to stay there. Knowing as he told one of his angry disciples who made a Sad but earnest attempt to defend him, that he had legions of angels to come to defend him. And all he had to do was say the word and it would happen and it would be, the suffering would be over. What kept Jesus on the cross? One thing, love. Love for his father who had told him to go there and love for you so that you could trust him and be forgiven of your sins. So every person who follows Jesus has an above all priority, an above all instruction to love other people. Romans 13 explains it like this. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything. Wouldn't that be great to be debt free? I won't ask. I don't want to distract you. It's a great feeling to be debt-free. Very few people are. Romans 13 says, if you're following Jesus, you have a debt every morning. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. You have a love debt today. Because of God's love for you, you owe love to others. John, the apostle, explained it like this in one of his letters. If God has loved us like this, surely we should love one another. See, when I fail to love you in whatever it is 
that my failure is, whether it's my selfishness or my anger or my resentment or my quiet contempt. A lot of people confuse a lack of love with if they can just be silent and not lash out, that's loving, it's a start. But if, you're, if there's contempt in your heart for your brother and sister, that's not love. Whatever keeps me from loving you is essentially telling God that I'll take his sacrifice on my behalf but refuse to treat others the way he treated me. It's a priority. It's an above all priority for Christians. Temperaments may differ, but love for one another, however wide the circle, that never changes. Peter says next, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And the, the, he, I'm glad he said one another, and I'm glad he made it inclusive. Because one of the ways that Christians deal with their obligation to not love other people is just to, to shrink the circle. That was the question. That was the question that the man asked Jesus who hadn't behaved with love toward Jesus. Do you remember? He said, who's my neighbor? You say that I should love. Who exactly should I love? Will you point that out for me? 1 Peter 4.8 uses this big inclusive language, above all, love one another. In other words, the whole family. Not only is it a priority for you, it's my responsibility, your responsibility of a disciple of Jesus to love everyone in the whole family and not just your favorites. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to see that. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. How you doing on that one? It's a tall order, isn't it? You know why? Because it requires the love of Christ in your heart. If you know, as Peter said in the first chapter, that God loved you with an eternal love and purchased you back out of your sin and set you free from the condemnation that awaited you, not with any earthly treasure, but with the blood of his own son, if you stay focused on that, you will feel such love and gratitude for him knowing that you were so greatly forgiven that you won't be able to deny those fellow sinners who have been forgiven with you, your own love. But it's easy to do or it wouldn't be written in 1 Peter 4.8. That's why Peter said, do this one thing above all. In 1 Peter 3.8, he explains how wide that circle is. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. All of you, the whole church, the whole community of believers, have unity of mind, have sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. If you think through those phrases, that means that love is both a disposition and an action. It's an attitude of the heart that results in actual physical obedience. And specifically, what is it about? The last part of the verse tells me, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, and here's why. Here's what love does. What does love do? It covers a multitude of sins. Now, careful with the language. 
It doesn't cover them up. It doesn't ignore sin. It doesn't take it into the back where it continues to flourish. What this means is when you love someone, you cover the cost of their sin at your expense. That's what Jesus did for me. Paul explained to the Colossian church that what was happening when Jesus was dying on the cross was simply this. The debt that stood against us, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, men in the first century were crucified. One of the indignities that was heaped upon them, in addition to a barbaric, slow death that was designed to terrorize those who saw it and subject people sometimes for hours, sometimes for longer than a day, to the worst kind of pain imaginable. On top of all that physical suffering, one of the things that they did to increase the shame and to increase the instrument of public terror that it was, sanctioned by the Roman government, was put your crime above your cross. So people could walk by and know why they were treating you that way. It might say murderer. It might say rebel, insurrection leader. And people would walk by and look at the cross and say, good, it serves you right. I'm glad they caught you. Curse them, spit at them. That's what Jesus endured on the cross. That's the physical side. That's what you could have seen had you been standing in the dirt that day looking up at the cross of Christ. What was happening spiritually? God was taking a certificate of debt that I had written out by hand with my every evil thought and deed, everything that in me that didn't center on loving and obeying God, every act of selfishness, of disobedience, of putting myself first ahead of God, of choosing my own way, of lying and cheating and lusting and doing every single other wicked thing with my body and with my heart and mind. Every single one of those things, Paul explains, God was setting aside by nailing it to the cross of his son. Get the word image as if he were the guilty party. Because that's what love does. Love does what it takes at its own cost to cover to satisfy, to pay, to remove from the sight of the person who is offended the sin that is real and acknowledged between those two parties. This is the most difficult part of the verse for 21st century American Christians because never in the history of the world has any society been more positioned to be offended than ours. There was a lady a couple years ago called 911 because Burger King wouldn't make her cheeseburger properly. Did you hear that call? I've told them four times and they won't get the order right. I mean, my, my goodness. We're positioned to be offended and wounded and upset about so many things. Why is that in the heart of our families and marriages and friendships and nation? For this reason, there's a lack of love. Where there is love, love is constantly extending itself, reaching out to cover the cost of those sins, not to make less of them, not to cover them up as an accomplice of saying this shouldn't be known. No, love steps forward in loyal, strong action to deal with sin and to get it out of the way. That's why Peter says, 
Listen, Christians, you're living in the end times. Calm down so that you can pray, and above all, keep loving one another earnestly. One translation says, keep your love at full strength because this is what's going to happen. Love will cover a multitude of sins between you. You won't be pulled apart by suffering. The suffering that makes people stop acting with love toward one another, it won't affect you. Love puts an end to gossip and getting even and bitterness. What's lacking? The answer always comes from Scripture. What is lacking is genuine love for God and love for each other. That's why Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on those two simple instructions. Love God supremely and love your neighbor as yourself. I said, man, I'm feeling the heaviness of this. I don't want you to go out there feeling burdened and crushed. I want you to understand that this is the life of Christ and the Christian. This isn't a moralistic list of things for you to do better. This verse was written to refocus people who were in suffering, who were in the midst of what Peter called a fiery trial. He said that was normal, that shouldn't surprise them, what, would what was being accomplished in their suffering brothers and sisters all around the world. Peter, what do we do in the midst of all this suffering? Calm down and keep praying and remember that your first priority is to love each other. What might that look like? That might look like you this week in the humble spirit of Jesus coming to someone and saying, I've been reminded of how much Jesus loves me, so I want to apologize for the way I've treated you. So well, that's going to be embarrassing. That'll be, that might hurt my pride. It'll kill your pride. <laughs> it's your pride that got you in trouble in the first place, quite frankly. And listen, when I say you, what I mean is me. This verse is, is right in the middle of my trouble. Every failure I've ever had as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend, as a son, every single one of it can be summarized with this simple diagnosis. I have failed to love. I have forgotten how Jesus loved me. I have forgotten the Son of God hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth for one single reason, to obey his Father out of love so that I could be welcomed into the family of God and live that life here now, not just someday in heaven, here now. What a radical difference that would make. No wonder Jesus told his disciples, by this all people will know you were my disciples if you what? If you love one another, because it's not natural to love when you're offended. It's not natural to love when you've been slighted. Here's the good news of the gospel. God was slighted and terribly offended, and he still loved, and he still does, and he loves you. It's just the best news that anybody could ever give anybody else. If God so loved us, so we also ought to love one another. What am I trying to tell you? Very simply, this. The difference between taking offense and giving forgiveness is love. If your friendships, if your family, if your relationships in this church family are characterized by offenses and quiet contempt, what will make the difference there is simple. 
you taking the first move, you taking that priority and loving them. Can we pray together, please? Could I invite you to make it personal? Not do the normal church thing and think about what you're going to do next or just hear me talk a few more, a few more words and pray, but could you take a moment with Jesus yourself? And if you're his disciple, if you're following him, remember how much he loved you. See him on the cross dying for you, coming out of that grave to give you eternal life. To start the eternal life now. To bring his attitude and his actions on earth. To redeem for himself. In other words, to purchase back from slavery a people for himself. Zealous, eager to love. Zealous, eager to do good works. If you're following Jesus, that's your life. Maybe he brought people to mind. I talked about family and friends, circle of fellowship in this church. Maybe he brought to mind a few painful little memories, faces, whom you've grown distant, you've grown quietly contemptuous. Could you talk to him about it? Ask him to fill your heart up with love so that you'll stop keeping that offense. Start giving forgiveness instead. And listen, if it's the first time in your, for you in our church, first time in any church, or if you come Sunday after Sunday, but you're not yet certain of your relationship with Jesus, the point of his life was to make you sure of your safety, your love, your acceptance in the family of God. My invitation to you is simple. Turn from your sin and ask Jesus to save you. To cover your sin with his life. He will. He's done it for millions. He did it for me. And I can tell you, it's a real thing. You've heard a little bit about my struggles, but listen, I'm different. I'm not the person I once was because Jesus stood between God and me and joined our hands together so that we could, I could really actually call him Father. He'll do the same for you if you'll turn to him. You don't need ritual words. You don't need magic words. There's just a transfer of trust. You stop believing yourself and you start believing him. Say, Jesus, here I am, all my messes, all my sins, all my sorrow, all my pride and selfishness, it's all in front of you. Please cover it with your grace. If you need to do that, turn to him right now in prayer. He'll listen. He eagerly awaits to hear people turning to him with those thoughts. Lord, thank you. Thank you for making it clear. I pray, God, that it would be as clear in our hearts as it was in your word and your first followers what we should do, what kind of people we should be. If there's anyone here still struggling to believe you, I pray that you'd give them grace right now to turn to you and that, God, this just wouldn't be another Sunday and another sermon. The people who take you at your word seriously would turn to other people in love and you would warm up families and marriages and friendships and increase the spiritual temperature in this church as we say with you and agree with you that above all, we will love one another 
and we will cover each other's sins and offenses. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Cross Points. If you have any questions about what you just heard, please call our church office at 714-848-5511. If you are nearby next Sunday, we have services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Visitors are always welcome at Crosspoint, and we hope you'll choose to worship with us when you're near. 